you talked about theories of time. Now, very briefly, to give an introduction, there are two types of, there are two main theories of time. A theory of time and B theory of time. A theory of time says that the past doesn't exist, the future does not exist. Only the present, right now, is actually um, real. Then, and that to speak of the past is to speak of something that doesn't exist. And the B theory of time says that all points in time are equally real. The future is just as real as the present. We just don't see it yet. Now, I'm an A theorist. You're roughly a B theorist, I'd say. I'm a B theorist, maybe on my way to A theorist. I see. And Andrew, who is going to participate, I am an uber A theorist. <laughs> okay. Militant <laughs> A theorist. Now, I think that the strongest argument. So the strongest argument that I have for a theory is that it just makes the most sense, right? Because mm. like we don't no, ever yeah, totally. it. So why why a B theorist? In fact, even as I understand it, I'm not a physicist, but I think that A and B theory are both equally um, as far as the math goes. They're basically the same. Yeah. So I haven't actually heard any kind of of a physical defense or specifically a general relativistic defense of a theory. But sort of the intuitive understanding of, of, of Einstein's general, world, general theory of relativity implies that in the same way that we can move between spatial coordinates, um, the way that we move between time coordinates actually matters for measuring distances and then um, also that, and that those distances are influenced by the presence of mass or the presence of energy. I think it's interesting to note that um, in the original way that Einstein formulated his um, theories of relativity, he did not have this four-dimensional space-time concept. He had just had a parameterized version of time, the way we would when we're talking about three dimensions of space and a separate dimension of time that's not necessarily analogous to that of space. It wasn't until sometime later a Russian scientist by the name of Minkowski actually introduced the idea of a four-dimensional space-time where time is analogous to a dimension of space. And he introduced this idea because it makes conceiving of the concepts of relativity, it makes it much simpler if you think about it in a four-dimensional way. But the question is, just because it's easier to think about the theory in a four-dimensional way, does that mean that that is an actual feature of the universe that time is um, a dimension that's analogous to space that could potentially be traversed the way we traverse space. Right. I think the important point is that there is some real substance to, to time in, in our distance calculations. So, for example, if you calculate how far light will go based on just the location, ignoring how long it takes to get there, you'll get wrong answers when you, compared to the real answers when you include how long it takes to get there. So this length of, of uh, time that we need to, to include in our calculations, uh, in my mind, points towards the reality of, of this four-dimensional space-time. Of course, it's also interesting to note that um, that's actually not even a feature of relativity, Einsteinian relativity, but rather the relativity that predated Einstein with Lorentz, which was also predating this four-dimensional conception. It's just the idea that when you travel... At, a, at relativistic speeds, at speeds that approach the, the speed of light, distances and times contract and dilate in ways that you wouldn't expect. So, you know, a, a meter stick might not still be a meter long when you're viewing it from a particular reference frame at a relativistic velocity. In the same way, an hour 
passing might not look like an hour to somebody who's in a different reference frame. Uh, but mathematically, this doesn't really say anything about whether temporal becoming is real or whether the present and the or the future and the past actually physically exist or whether you know whether they come into being as we experience them. Right. So I'm not so much the physicist, so we're going to pivot a little to philosophy here. The key objection to a theory is what's called the grounding objection. So whenever we talk about events that are in the past. For example, I was born in February. That's a statement that's obviously in the past, but the thing is that what makes that true? If it's true that the past no longer exists, if A theory is true, and the past no longer exists, I'm referring to something that doesn't exist. So in a certain sense to say Jones was born at X time, if time is no longer at X, then it's false. But on the B theory of time, it does make sense because you're referring to an actual existent. There's something upon which that truth can supervene. It seems, though, unnecessary to me that we require that propositions, truth value, be necessarily related to an actually existing object. Mm -hmm. For example, mathematical truths may or may not be true, and they may or may not have a physical object that exists that we can say is their truth maker that makes them true. In the same way, it seems unclear to me that we must say that the past currently exists in order to provide the sort of ontological grounding for the truth of claims about things that happened in the past. If something happened in the past, it happened. Without presupposing one theory of time, it doesn't seem like we can define truth in such a way that it necessitates one theory of time. Whichever theory of time is correct seems to be a feature of the universe, and if our notion of truth makers doesn't apply to that or doesn't coincide with that, then it seems more likely to me that our notion of truth makers is flawed. There are a lot of complicated issues related to truth maker theory. Now, we've looked at a little bit, just briefly from a philosophical perspective, we've talked a little bit about the physical perspective. Let's talk a little bit about the theological perspective. So in the main broadcast, John, you mentioned that mm -hmm. there were some theological conundrums that were solved by B-theory. Uh, let's talk first, before we talk about the evil thing, let's talk a little bit about God being in time. Mm. I think that if a theory is true, and, and I think it is, that God being in time, I don't think that that's such a bad thing. Some people act like God being in time is bad because he changes or something like that, uh, as opposed to divine timelessness or God is outside of time. For me, on a theory, being outside of time is an incoherent statement because if only the present exists, then to be outside of time is to be almost non-existent. It doesn't really make sense to me. In my mind, it's sort of similar, but but that instead of God existing outside of time, God, God maybe coexists with time and certainly is the initial cause of the universe and brought it into being. From this perspective, sort of interacts with time slices, if you will, along a long prism, and he sort of interacts with individual components of this structure. Okay, there is a major problem with that. It's called divine aseity, which says that at a certain point, God existed, and God existed by himself alone without any other object. If you're saying that the universe and all of space-time is, you're essentially saying it is eternal, or it is timeless in a certain sense if you were to step outside the, of it. Yeah, in the same sense yeah. that God is timeless, the universe would be timeless. Are you saying that there, that alongside God there's like this space-time hypercube that also has existed for all of time? Or, or time? for all yeah, of so that, that's Yeah, your, your hesitance there is really what gets me, because I don't really know how to talk about eternity in some non-physical way. 
I don't know how to describe a physical entity such as time in a non-physical way. So, so well, it's a question of states of affairs. So is there a state of affairs wherein God exists and the universe does not exist? Um, because it seems to me that if there is such a state of affairs, then since we know the universe does exist now, there must be an additional state of affairs wherein God exists and the universe exists. And if you can draw any relationships between those states of affairs, I think you have to be able to say that there's a prior relation that God existed prior to the creation of the universe. So if both of those statements and then are true, and then the relationship of being prior is also true, that means that there is a temporal relationship between God and the universe, that God existed, and then at some instant of time, the universe began to exist. And there was a state of affairs wherein the universe did not exist, and a state of affairs where all of a sudden the universe did exist. But it seems to me that that's not compatible with a B theory of time, because you would have to basically introduce a an additional temporal dimension that would be an A theory of time that's external to the universe. So now you're saying it's a B theory, but it's also actually A theory, but only kind of, which seems to make it vastly more complex than just saying, well, it was just A theory to begin with. Sure, I think that's a legitimate criticism and, and definitely something that we have to work through and, and consider. The main point in my mind is that we've, we're trying to come up with a theory of time that describes all of our physical data and that incorporates all of our philosophical understanding as well. Within the context of the physical universe, it seems to me that B theory is the best description. Then, you know, sort of time outside of that or temporal relations outside of that scope, um, in my mind, sort of diverge into something completely different. You had also mentioned that B theory actually solves some issues. To be perfectly frank, I think it creates more issues, but <laughs> but I'm willing to, I, I can see some issues where it, it does fix a few things. You can unequivocally say God does not change. If, if he's outside of time. In fact, you would have to say that he's incapable of yeah, any sort of change because there's no temporal dimension to God at all. Mm-hmm. He's like a marble statue that's floating next to uh, the four-dimensional <laughs> prism of that's, that's a very ungenerous way to put it. <laughs> uh, but in addition to fixing perhaps some of the physical quandaries, what, what other theological issues could, could be fixed with the B theory of time? In my mind, it helps answer sort of the prevalence of evil or why we understand evil uh, exists in the world, especially sort of answers our longing or our desire to see that evil, evil vanquished and to see it dissociated. I happen to disagree with you completely. (laughs) I think that evil is a very key argument in favor of the A theory of time. Because you have to to conceive that at all time T, there is evil, either future or past. But evil does exist. Mm -hmm. And it seems to me that in the new creation, if evil is to be truly triumphed over, it seems to me incoherent that you have the new creation but it's also a part of this long history of pain and suffering that is equally real. Because like you said, you were arguing that the conquer of evil is as equally real as the present, but even during the conquering of evil, the evil itself is, is <laughs> equally present. So I really don't understand this argument, to be quite <laughs> honest. We'll have to just leave it there uh, for now. Agree to disagree. Uh, we're, we're officially out of time. Uh, so, so John, thanks, for, thanks again for your discussion. Andrew, thanks for waking up. Uh, <laughs> and uh, we'll see you next time as we discuss... Something else. Yeah, something else.